I hope you're enjoying the gift that God has given to you this day. That gift that I'm talking about is the subject of this week's Tomorrow's World telecast, Sabbath or Sunday, given by Mr. Ames. Note that the title is not Sabbath or Sabbath, because many people think that Sunday is the Sabbath. That would be an interesting title. I'm not sure how it would go over, but it could be the next one that we have, Sabbath or Sabbath. And that would certainly garner some curiosity. But nevertheless, the Sabbath, as we know, as we understand, or we wouldn't be here, is not on Sunday. It's this day that we are observing, and it's not because it looks different. In fact, I think the last 20 days have all looked the same here in Charlotte. No clouds, just plenty of sun, and maybe a little bit of rain would be appreciated, but very beautiful days. And you can't tell the difference from one day to the next, which day is the Sabbath, just by looking at it. And that's a, an interesting thing that God has done. Some days we have storms, some days we have rain, some days snow, some days beautiful sunny skies, some days winds, or even tornadoes. Sometimes we have hurricanes or other uh, disasters that come upon us on the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath is a wonderful, wonderful gift that he's given to us, far more important than perhaps we always realize. It's a wonderful gift. As we know, there's only one day of the week that is a Sabbath, except for the annual Sabbath. And is there more to this Sabbath command that might be understood at first glance? Well, today I'm going to show you the importance of the weekly Sabbath how it sanctifies and sets apart God's true people, and how it is not Sunday. And when I say it's not Sunday, I don't just mean a day of the week, but how it is not Sunday on another level. The Sabbath is a law. One of the better-known accounts in the life of Jesus is found in the book of Mark. Yet this passage of Scripture is one of the most misunderstood passages that we have in Scripture. Let's turn over there to Mark, the second chapter. And you and I are familiar with it. And even some in the world are familiar with it. And they use it to try to say that the Sabbath is done away. In verse 23, it happened that he, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Have you ever considered why they would have thought that this was unlawful on the Sabbath? I am sure, and it's very important that we understand this, that they had scriptural justification in their minds. They must have thought it was wrong. Well, if you go back to Leviticus, I'm sorry, Exodus, the 16th chapter, Remember, they went out and they picked manna for six days, and on the seventh, those that went out were soundly corrected, not only by the circumstances of, the, of uh, there being no manna, but also God, through Moses, corrected them for going out on the Sabbath to pick up manna. And so I'm sure that the Pharisees had in mind the idea that well, you are not to pick up food on the Sabbath. 
we would perhaps approach it a little bit differently than Jesus did. I've often wondered why he approached it this way, but he did it because he was dealing with the Pharisees who looked at scriptures a certain way instead of reasoning with them and pointing out that there is a difference between your daily work of gathering your food and just picking an apple off the tree, or in this case, grain. Uh, nevertheless, he used this example. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. He was using that passage of Scripture to show that there was a law. In this particular case, it was uh, had to do with the sacrifices, but nevertheless, the, the showbread that was brought in every week. But nevertheless, he was showing that there's a time when an injunction like that could be overridden. Now, he wasn't saying that the Sabbath was, they were violating the Sabbath by doing that, that this was something of, of great necessity, but nevertheless, he was pointing out that uh, they misunderstood the law. They were not looking at the law properly, that the law was there to serve, not to make a, a burden on people. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. There was a difference there. They were looking at the law as being so strict that man had to conform to that law in that way. It was a blessing. It was a gift. But they didn't see the Sabbath as a blessing or a gift. But it was a straitjacket that one must be placed within. And so he said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, all of this people use to say that the Sabbath is done away with because they accused him of doing something that was not lawful on the Sabbath. And as we will see, it was lawful. But it says the Sabbath was made for man. It doesn't say it was made for the Jews. It doesn't say it was made for Israel. It says it was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So let's hold our place here because we're going to come back. But let's go to Exodus, the second chapter, because I'm sure all of you are thinking of that right now, and see when it was made. And we find that at the very beginning, God made the Sabbath, and he made it in a very special way by putting his very presence in that day, by doing what he did not have to do, which was to rest. In chapter 2, verse 1 of Genesis, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Now, to sanctify something means to set it apart. And normally in the context of for a holy purpose. Not just setting it apart in a physical, secular way, but for a holy purpose. And so God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And Mr. Smith is going through some Bible studies on uh, creation and has pointed out the difference between the words create and made. 
there's a difference there. One has to do with uh, create out of out of nothingness, as it were, and the other is to shape out of what's already already there. So notice that he says created and made, and that becomes very important too in the Sabbath command, which people also misunderstand. But nevertheless, we see here that God created the Sabbath. Uh, he made it for man, and he did so by setting us an example, setting an example of resting on that day. Now, we see that there is no Jew at this time. There is no Israelite. There are just two, quote, men, actually a man and a woman, but mankind, two individuals. That's all that existed at that time. And from those two have come the human race have come all people of all races and nationalities. And so he made that for man or mankind. It is interesting when you turn over to the 26th chapter of the book of Genesis that we find that God had commandments and statutes and laws. Notice Genesis 26 and verse 4. It says, I will make your descendants, this is Isaac, your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why was God going to bless Isaac in that way? Because, verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, what is interesting here is if you bring the Scripture out to people, which I've done, uh, and you, you point out that obviously at the time of Abram or Abraham, there were commandments and there were statutes and there were laws, and the obvious implication is that the Sabbath is a commandment, they will then say, well, I don't know what it's talking about, but it's not talking about the Sabbath. Or I don't know what it's talking about, but it certainly isn't talking about clean and unclean meats. And yet when you look at it, the Sabbath was clearly made by God at creation. If it's not, if that is not one, then what is? We also know that really all the Ten Commandments are found there. Lying, uh, stealing... Uh, committing adultery, murder, all of those are clearly seen as violating the law of God. But he doesn't just stop with the commandments. He says, my voice, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So it isn't just ten commandments. It's the statutes and God's laws. And we see that the Sabbath is clearly a given at the very beginning, at the very creation, the seventh day. And God created it by putting his rest in it. So the Sabbath was made for man, as we see here. There is a scripture that some will turn to over in the book of Revelation. We'll go from one end of the Bible to another. Revelation, the first chapter, and verse 10. Because we often hear that there's a Sabbath and there's the Lord's Day. And many of the commentaries point out that in Revelation, the first chapter in verse 10, that it speaks of the Lord's Day as Sunday. 
or the first day of the week. Notice what it says here in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, they will take that expression out of context and say that, well, this is referring to a day of the week. When you look at the whole flow of the book of Revelation, it is evident that the the very purpose of the book of Revelation is to explain the day of the Lord. At least that's the focus of it. There's a lot more to it. In the first chapter, he kind of gives an overview. And he gives this exact statement here that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And chapter, actually when you look at the very beginning verses, we find it as the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, God the Father, gave to him to show his servants. Now, we see the servants of God in chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 4 shows God the Father as the one who is giving the message. Chapter 5 gives the one who is able to reveal or open up that message, which is Jesus Christ. Chapter 6 goes through six of the seven seals which lead up to the day of the Lord. And from then on, with a few exceptional chapters in there, it's about the day of the Lord. And so that is the the theme of this. But let's just assume for a moment... I just point that out to show that it is not about the a day of the week. But let's assume, just for a moment, uh, incorrectly, that the Lord's Day is a day of the week. And what day of the week is that? Well, we are told by commentaries, by individuals, by ministers out there, that the Lord's Day is Sunday. That the Sabbath was Saturday, but the Lord's Day is Sunday. But what does the Bible tell us about the Lord's Day, if it is talking about a day of the week. Well, let's go back to where we were in Mark, the second chapter again. Mark 2. Remember, as it said there in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then in verse 28, therefore the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So the one who is has become Jesus Christ, was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the one that created it. He was the one that rested on that day. As we read from other scriptures, that all things were made by Him. Visible and invisible, there in Colossians, the first chapter, uh, whether principalities or powers, so forth. It was the one who became Jesus Christ that gave life to Adam and Eve, that breathed in their nostrils the breath of life. It was the one who became Jesus Christ who rested on that day. He is Lord of the Sabbath. So it says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. There are two other passages that confirm this. Matthew, the 12th chapter, in the very same account, uh, we read here in verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 8. It says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So if it is a day of the week that he is Lord of, The day of the week is clearly the Sabbath. And also in the book of Luke, the sixth chapter, Luke 6 and verse 5. Luke 6 and verse 5. He said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, as far as I know, that is the extent of any statements in the Bible that says that Christ is the Lord of something or the Son of Man. I mean Christ here, that he is the Lord of any day of the week. 
He is Lord of the Sabbath. There is not a single scripture that you can find any place in the New Testament that says he is the Lord of any other day than that of the Sabbath. We only have the first day of the week mentioned about eight times. Five of them are in relation to the resurrection, and that's a whole other subject, but we have a booklet on the subject of, of Easter, and it does go into when Christ was resurrected. And we know that he wasn't resurrected on a Sunday morning at all. But it does mention the first day of the week, because when they came, he was gone. He was already gone on the first day of the week. So about five times it mentions the first day of the week in that context. And then our Sabbath booklet, which we have a booklet on the Sabbath, of course, and it's good to review from time to time all of these booklets. It points out the other examples where Paul was traveling uh, on the first day of the week, or he spoke on the first day of the week till about midnight when a fellow fell out of the third floor. I used to always picture that as falling into the house. Maybe he fell out of the house. That doesn't really really say. Uh, but he was uh, sitting in a window. And Paul was like many of our ministers. We can be a little bit long-winded at times. And this poor fellow, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak, and he fell out. But that was... That was about midnight on the first day of the week, uh, Saturday night, Sunday, and then we find that Paul walked uh, about 20 miles uh, on that Sunday uh, during the day. So we find that there's no scripture that ever refers to Jesus Christ as being the Lord of Sunday or the Lord of the first day of the week. We have three examples in scripture, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that show us that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and nobody disputes that it's talking about Friday sunset to Saturday. Well, I shouldn't, I can't say nobody disputes that. Some people dispute as to exactly when the evening begins and when it does not, but that's, that's another subject, and I won't go into that at this time. The Sabbath, we often refer to as the test commandment. Uh, I'd heard that for years. And never really knew why it was a test commandment other than it is a test, isn't it? Because all the commandments except that one are relatively easy to understand why it's, why they're important. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. All of those are are pretty easy to understand. Even taking the name of God in vain is something we can understand. We should have no other gods before the true God. I think most who call themselves Christians can understand that one. Now, there's a little bit of a dispute as to whether you can use icons or images, which is kind of interesting because the second and the fourth commandments have way more weight to them. Uh, Just count the, the words in the English language, and there are over 80 words in those two commands. You know, you shall not kill. That's pretty short. But remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. Uh, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, and so on and so forth. It may not be exactly quoted correctly, but close. And it goes on. It's something like 80, 84 words. One's about 84, 89 in uh, the uh, old King James. But the others are very short. So these are the commandments that people have trouble with. So they take the second commandment and they bleed it into the first one and they only learn the shortened version, know the gods before me, and that 
effectively does away with the command against idol worship. And then they incorrectly divide up the the Tenth Commandment. And when you compare uh, Exodus, the 20th chapter, and Deuteronomy, the 5th chapter, when you compare those last commandments, you'll find that the order is switched, showing that very clearly the command against coveting is anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's interesting how God placed that in there to make it very clear that you cannot divide up that commandment. And so it is the fourth commandment that we're dealing with here. Not the third, as some churches portray the Sabbath command. We, we take for granted it's the fourth commandment, but Catholicism, I think uh, Lutherans and various other ones, look at it as the third commandment. Uh, that's something that I didn't understand growing up. But why is it the test commandment? It obviously is something that's difficult to understand because people can reason around it. What difference does it make? It doesn't look any different today than it did yesterday. And so if I keep tomorrow, it's just one day in seven. That's how they reason around it. So why do we call it the test commandment? Is it because Mr. Armstrong came up with that term all on his own? or Dr. Meredith, or me, or anybody else? Did we just come up with that term on our own? Or is there scriptural evidence that the fourth commandment is the test commandment, the Sabbath commandment? Let's go back to Exodus, the 16th chapter. I, I just bring this out because I didn't see this for years. When I first came into the church, somehow this just escaped me. We know that Israel was coming out of Egypt here in Exodus. And in verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. Here was how God was going to test the people. This is why we call it the test commandment. Now, we can reason around, say it's a test commandment because it's the one that people can reason around. But here, God uses it as a test for the people. He says, that shall be on, this, uh, on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring, bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So this is where he gave them the manna. They had manna in the morning. They went out and they picked it up. They gathered it. We don't know exactly what it was. In fact, manna means what's it? What is it? And if they didn't know what it was, then how can we possibly know what it is? But it was food. And like all food, I guess you get tired of it. And they got tired of this food, even though it sustained their lives. But at first, I'm sure they thought it was the greatest, greatest thing that came along. So God gave them manna for six days. And if they tried to save it over to the next day, any of those five, first five days, it bred worms and it stank. But on the sixth day, he gave them twice as much. They went out and it was far more abundant. They gathered a bunch of it, and those that saved it over to the seventh day found that it didn't breed worms and stink. Those who didn't save it up went out, and they went fasting the next day. 
because there was none. And so we find here, verse 22, And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. Verse 23, said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to you. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they saved it up. And then it says here, uh, it happened, verse 27, that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Eternal said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Notice he calls it commandments and laws, just as he called Abraham or said to Isaac about Abraham keeping his commandments, his laws, his statutes. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day Bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So we find here that it was a test for the people to test them to see whether they would obey his laws or not. Because, again, we can see the necessity of some laws. But this Sabbath command is the one that is so easy to reason around. And it's the one that they were able to reason around. And God soundly corrected them for doing so. And for 40 years, it was very clear what day the seventh day was. It wasn't just any day in seven. They couldn't pick and choose and say, okay, I think I'm going to pick up manna these days and I'm going to rest on this day. Carnal human nature will reason around it any way that he can. In Exodus, the 20th chapter... And note that this was before they came to Mount Sinai. So that I will test them to keep whether they will keep my laws or not. So those laws were in force. And it was in the 20th chapter that we have the covenant being made with Israel, actually starting in the 19th chapter. But he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then he says in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember it. Don't. Forget it. Uh, hold your place here and let's go over to Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. Deuteronomy 5. And verse 12 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the eternal your God commanded you. So one place... It is read as remember the Sabbath day, and the other one observe the Sabbath day. One was given at the very beginning, and the other was given some 40 years later. And God often does this. He words things slightly different, and for a reason, again, you find slight differences between these two accounts. For example, as I said uh, in verse 21 of Deuteronomy 5, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And then it mentions house. Back in Exodus, the uh, 20th chapter, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So it reverses those. And again, for a reason. And it shows us that the 10th commandment is that whole commandment against coveting. 
But on the Sabbath, we have really two thoughts there, remember and observe. We are to remember it. We're not to forget that it is a Sabbath day, and we are to observe it. And then he goes on to say, back in uh, oh, Exodus, I'll read it in Exodus's, Exodus' account of it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, that's a part of the commandment that many people forget, that we are to labor six days a week. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be on the job, but that's for our personal well-being, and there is a point of, of actual labor. We find that when we labor, we gain satisfaction in seeing the results of our labor. Man is not truly happy just playing. We are happy when we are producing something. And in our modern society, we work so that we can retire. And there are some jobs that a person needs to retire from. Even with the priests, we find that they, were, they worked up to a certain age of, of 50 at that time, and then uh, you know, the, as far as the heavy labor of it all, didn't mean they stopped working altogether, but as far as that particular responsibility. My wife's father retired at age, I don't know, 65. He died at age 98 in two days. And he worked up to the end. He had a garden, but more than that, when he was 96, he's out hanging drywall. I'm serious, not supervising hang drywall. And anybody that's ever done that knows how hard work that is. And he'd go out splitting wood. He'd gather it all up, and then we'd take the splitter and he'd split it. And he didn't want to run the splitter. He wanted to pick up the logs. And he was working like that. He'd work about six hours, go in, drink a beer, and uh, have a rest. But he'd work six hours straight, not touch food or water, and then go in and have his beer. He lived to be 98. He helped his neighbors. Anybody that needed something, he would be there to help them. He understood what work was. Too many today want to work for a certain point in time and just lay back and do nothing. Now, there's a point of recreation. There's a point of time. There's a, a point in having a day to do other things besides your normal work. But do you realize that when the kingdom is here ruling on this earth, that people are going to be working different than they are today. There is no, quote, weekend in the context that we think of it. We think of the weekend in a very different context than they will after Christ returns. There will be six days and then the Sabbath. The weekend is a human construct because of the false church which created Sunday as the day of rest, and others because they keep Saturday, or traditionally there are those who do. Then you have two days to goof off on, and that's about all they do is goof off. It's going to be very interesting, very interesting, after Christ returns, how the work week is going to be constructed. I think we know the construction of it. 
actual work itself is going to be very different. I'd, I'm sure there are going to be some kind of manufacturing jobs, but e even there, things are going to be different. Instead of working maybe 12 hours, people work seven or eight hours, but they have some time to do things that are necessary, like mow your lawn or plant your garden or do the laundry or whatever it is that people need to do. But I think that we need to think of it that way, that six days God expects us to be productive one way or the other. But in our world today, it's five days of work for people in the church, it's a Sabbath, and then for too many on Sunday, it's just sit and watch football or it's watch this or that and really chill out and do nothing. Now, I don't mean it's wrong to ever watch a football game. Don't anybody say that I said that it's wrong to do that. Or play a game of golf or go fishing. I, I like to do some of those things too. Don't do them very often, but they're enjoyable to do. But it's like Sunday is a day to do nothing. Now, for many of us, it's the day that we have to mow the lawn and we have to catch up on chores, and that's part of the, the commandment to do your labor. That's part of our labor. But I'm just trying to bring out the point that too many look at Sunday as, as almost a, a bonus day to do nothing. And in the, the time of Christ's return, it's going to be different. Time is going to be looked on in a different way than it is today. Have you ever thought about how Satan is so involved in our culture? I, I, I notice this with young people. I, I notice it with myself. You go to services on the Sabbath, you come home, and people just don't want to go to bed. And so they stay up late, partying, playing cards, doing all kinds of things. Not that it's wrong to do any of those things. But you get physical rest, and then as soon as the sun sets, people go out and they do things that cause them to forget everything. Any physical good from physical rest is done away with because people stay up too late. I remember young people in one particular area where I was, after the Sabbath they'd do something perhaps with, a, with church activity, but then they'd have to go out and get a video and watch a video until 2 in the morning or later. And sometimes they didn't get up until 10, 11, 12 o'clock the next day. They undid all of the benefit of it, especially when you look at the kinds of videos that, that are there. I remember, and there will be some that will remember this, I suppose, when it goes out, but I, I remember uh, some of the kids came over to our house on a Saturday, Sabbath afternoon, and we had uh, some pizza or something, and then uh, after the sun had set, they'd wanted to go to a movie, and I thought, okay, well, I'll, you know, if kids want me to go to a movie with them, I'll go to a movie. I didn't know it was out there. Uh, the girls wanted to watch The Mummy, and I thought, that doesn't sound too interesting. The boys wanted to watch, I hate to say it, Austin Powers, A Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> now, I see that some of you know what I'm talking about, and others are going, what's he talking about? But it sounds like most of you know. I lasted about... I don't know, somewhere, maybe I lasted 10 minutes. I doubt that I lasted that long. 
I'd even bought popcorn for you know the group that was with me, and and the, the girls went to see the mummy. I wish I'd been with the girls instead of the boys, but I, I spent a lot of money, and I, I walked out. It, it was so abominable. And I, I so I took that. I actually rented that movie, and I showed it to a group of parents at a family weekend because I wanted I, not the whole thing, just the first five minutes or so, because I wanted the parents to know what their kids are doing on Saturday night, not to get them in trouble, but just to help them to see the influences of our world. And most of the parents who were there were shocked. They were stunned. It was just one sexual innuendo after another, which I I can't even describe here in polite company. But it was nothing like I thought. I thought it was going to be a comedy And I couldn't laugh at it. There are those, I guess, that think that sort of thing is funny. But the the point is that God gives us a Sabbath as a day of rest and rejuvenation, both physically and spiritually. And Satan comes along immediately thereafter and says, let's do away with all the benefit physically by keeping everybody up late. And let's get back into the world as fast as we can. We need to think about these things. It, it's not that it's a, a sin to ever play a game of cards and stay up late occasionally, but it's a mindset. And we should never underestimate the spirit influence that is out here trying to corrupt us from what God is trying to give us. He gives us a gift, and we can tend to squander it if we're not careful. Exodus, the 31st chapter. Here we find that there is a separate covenant that God made with Israel. And we are spiritual Israel, whether we are physically or not. But he says here in verse 13, Exodus 31, 13, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Eternal who sanctifies you, who sets you apart. The Sabbath does set us apart. And I know that our neighbors probably haven't figured out that we go to church every Sabbath because about the same time each day, unless we're traveling, we are all dressed up and the garage door goes up and the people up the hill can look right down there and see us. And they see us all dressed up with briefcase in hand And I'm sure they've got it figured out. People aren't dumb or stupid. Well, some may be, but uh, I don't don't think uh, even those that are surprise us how quickly they can figure those things out. Now, they haven't said anything, but they know I'm a minister, so they've got it figured out that when I'm mowing the lawn on Sunday morning and going someplace on Saturday afternoon, they've probably got it figured out. But the Sabbath does set us apart. It sanctifies us. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. It's holy to us. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Now, that gives you the idea that God takes this seriously. It was a capital offense to profane the Sabbath. And truly, it will be a capital offense for those who refuse to keep it. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days. Notice again, work shall be done for six days. 
But the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the eternal. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. That is really serious business. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Now, there are those who focus in on the fact that it says the children of Israel. So they say, well, I'm not Israel, so we do something different. Is God divided? Does God have one day for Israel, which they think of as the Jews, but we must understand this as all of Israel, which some of us in this room are Israelites, to what degree we are is sometimes questionable because we are, so many of us, mixed of one sort or another. But nevertheless, physically speaking, some of us are no doubt Israelites. I, I know our song leader is, and I, I love the enthusiasm that Judah has. Uh, wow, I, I love it. Uh, it, it. It's really great. But nevertheless, Israel is to keep the Sabbath, but do we say that Gentiles keep a different day? So that the Jews would meet on one day and the Gentiles on another day? Well, I'm not going to go into all the scriptures. We've got a booklet on the subject. But nevertheless, it doesn't make sense that one group of people would keep one day and another group of people would keep another day. And you can read through the book of Acts and you'll see that whether they were Jews or Gentiles, they kept the same day. They kept the Sabbath day. But it is a sign between me, verse 17, and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. He, God, rested and was refreshed. So God gave this separate command. You get the impression that it's very important. Now, Sabbath breaking was a prime reason for Israel going into captivity. And we say Israel, not just the Jews, but all of Israel. The book of Ezekiel, in the 20th chapter, addresses this. And remember that the book of Ezekiel was to go to the house of Israel. You can read that in the second and third chapters. You can read it in chapter 33. You can read all through here. Sometimes he talks about the house of Israel. Sometimes he talks about Jerusalem. But what was to happen to Jerusalem was a type of what would happen for all of Israel. And you go back to the fourth chapter and, and see there where he says that, you know, this uh, Jerusalem, it's a type of, of what was going to happen there. It's, it's a type or a message to the house of Israel. Go take that message to the house of Israel. So here in Exodus, the I'm sorry, Ezekiel, the 20th chapter, some of the elders of Israel came to Ezekiel, and they wanted to know what God thought about something. And verse 3 says, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the eternal God, or the Lord God, as it should be, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. And he tells Ezekiel to judge them. Son of man, will you judge them? Make them know the abominations of their fathers. Not just those individuals there, but their heritage, their, their fathers. Verse 5, say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, not just the Jews, but Israel, and raised my hand and oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob, and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, that was all of Israel, I raised my hand and oath to them, saying, I am the eternal your God. Now, he's 
speaks of how they rebelled against him, verse 8. And for his name's sake, verse 9, he refrained from destroying them, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among uh, whom they were were in the sight of uh, a sight I had made myself known to them. Verse 10, therefore, I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes. Notice he gave them his statutes as though they were already there. And showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me. That's what we just read of in the 31st chapter. A covenant. The Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me. Verse 13, yet the house of Israel, not just the Jews, but the house of Israel, rebelled against me in the wilderness. And then the latter part of that verse, verse 13, and they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. As you go through this chapter, you see over and over again, it says verse 16, it says, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. You read through here, it was a Sabbath and idolatry that got them in trouble. The two commands of the Ten Commandments, which God spends more time on describing how you're to keep those day, uh, observe those commandments, and all the others, idolatry and Sabbath breaking, and here we find over and over through this chapter that those are the two commands that got them in trouble. Nevertheless, God spared them. Verse 18, but I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the eternal your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you. Verse 21, breaking into it, but they profaned my Sabbaths. Verse 24, the latter part of it, they despised, but uh, had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. So we see that very clearly, that Sabbath breaking was a major cause of them going into captivity. Of all of the problems that they had, as well as idolatry. The Sabbath, as we understand, because we're here, I think, we didn't understand it, we wouldn't be here. But the Sabbath is still in effect. And oftentimes people say, well, there's no place in Scripture in the New Testament that says we are to keep the Sabbath. There are examples of Christ, of the apostles, of the Gentiles observing the Sabbath. We can read that in the book of Acts, and you can read that on your own. But here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, in verse 1, it says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, he's talking here about cataposin, his rest. He's talking about going into the promised land, which Israel was to do, and they didn't really enter into his rest in the right way. And, you know, Joshua was not able to really give them the rest that they should have had. 
uh, there were problems. And he's talking about the kingdom of God that we can be eventually born into. But he says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore on my wrath they shall not enter my rest. He's quoting there from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs. I'm sorry, the book of Psalms. He says, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Notice that when it talks about the rest here, it harkens back to the foundation of the world, the works that were finished. What did God do when he finished the works? He rested. He kept the Sabbath. He instituted. Verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Well, that's Genesis 2 again. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. In other words, the children of Israel would not enter God's rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disbelief. That's why they didn't enter the promised land. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. And then verse 9, it changes the word, Rest. It says, there remains therefore a rest. And this word is not catapazin, but it is uh, sabbatismos. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. A keeping of the Sabbath. There remains therefore a sabbatismos for the people of God. Now, some have said that this means that it is a, uh, a rest from our works. Because it goes on to say, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works. And they kind of stop there. In other words, that we rest from sin. But notice it says, for he, verse 10, he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, how did God rest from his works? He rested on the seventh day. He didn't rest from sin. And yet I've heard people try to, to say that this is the rest, the Sabbath rest is rest from, from sin. And yet it says here that we are to rest and to cease from our works as God did from His. So we follow God's example. And here's a New Testament command that says that there remains therefore a sabbatismos for the people of God. And we are to rest from our works as God did from His. I know it's a, a little bit of a, a difficult passage because it's, it's comparing, uh, you know, two, two rests as it were, uh, entering the promised land and of course the seventh millennium, uh, as we understand it, but it's also talking about in the kingdom of God. And, it is comparing the, the weekly Sabbath in this particular context. It's all through there. 
verses 4 and 5, or verses 3 and 4, uh, talk about a certain day and a certain uh, time. And then verse 9 is very clear, a Sabbath keeping for the people of God, and we are to rest from our works as God did from his. And it's very clear the only time we read of God resting that I know of uh, is with the Sabbath day. It is very clearly going back to that. Now, the Sabbath is going to be kept in the millennium. Notice Isaiah, the 66th chapter. Isaiah 66. You know, this is such a, a wonderful gift that God gives to us. And I didn't really fully appreciate it until I moved away from home because as long as I was living at home, uh, it was always trying to find a way to avoid work on the Sabbath because when you're under the authority of your parents and your father wants you to do something, you, you know, it's a very difficult spot to be in. So I think my father thought I was the greatest kid in the world at one point. He didn't really think that way all the time, but... Once I started mowing the lawn on Friday, washing the car on Friday, doing everything on Friday that I could think he could ask me to do, he probably thought something happened to me, but he didn't understand the reason. And then Sabbath, I'd get up and I'd go to the library, and they thought, he's really studious. Well, <laughs> I'd go to the library and I would look up all kinds of references that uh, to Israel and different things like that. I... I did anything to get away from the home from home at that time. But when I got out on my own, I really began to appreciate the Sabbath because it was different. You didn't have to worry about school. You didn't have to worry about work or anything like that. It was it was wonderful rest. But here in verse 22 of Isaiah 66, for it's a new heavens and the new earth. So we're looking to the future, which I... Uh, which I will make, uh, shall remain before me, says the Eternal, uh, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Eternal. We, I think this shows that time is going to be understood differently. We call months today, moons, moons, months but they have the wrong number of days, so the new moon doesn't come up at the beginning of our months, except by chance. And the full moon, etc., doesn't fall the way that it should. But after Christ's return, there's going to be something different there. There's no command that we know of that we have to keep new moons today. We don't read of that, but it does seem to indicate that there will be in the millennium. But very clearly, it says, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh, notice, not Jews alone, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Eternal. Now, I suppose that somebody say, well, all flesh, does that mean all the animals? Let's be reasonable. Isaiah was under inspiration. He knew what he was saying here. And all flesh obviously has to do with flesh that can understand these things. But all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Eternal. All human beings, not just Jews, not just Israelites, but all will come to worship before God on the Sabbath day. 
So we must conclude, therefore, if we take that for what it says, that God was very fickle. He said, remember the Sabbath day, and if you don't keep it, I'm going to kill you. So they should be put to death. And then Christ came along and said it's done away with, but when he comes back, he's going to say we have to keep it again. The same argument could be made for the Feast of Tabernacles, where he cuts off their reign. Is God fickle, or is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? And I think the, obvi- the answer is obvious to all of us, isn't it? I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't already know. You understand that. Now, I said that the Sabbath is not Sunday. I gave a sermon some time back on new wine and old wine skins. And the reason I bring that up is because it is too easy for us to come out of the world and approach the Sabbath day the way that we did Sunday. Uh, I remember one individual who uh, said that uh, after services, well, I've got to leave because I've got to, I've got to uh, go shopping or buy gas because it's cheaper here than it is back home. And so, uh, you know, trying to get out early or whatever it was before the stores closed, before whatever it was, I guess it was not gas, but store, there was a sale on them, and it was still the Sabbath day. Because, you see, the world doesn't really keep Sunday as a Sabbath. At least most people don't. Uh, When they speak of Sunday as a Sabbath, that means Sunday morning for about an hour. That's the obligation. The rest of the day, you go golfing, hunting, fishing, shopping, or whatever your work might be. We cannot approach the Sabbath the way that we approached Sunday. Now, I, for one, never liked Sunday. For one reason, it was meant that I had to go back to school the next day. That was reason enough. But I, I, I didn't believe in the Sabbath. I didn't understand the Sabbath, but I just knew that Sunday we'd go to church, and that wasn't always very interesting, and then... The rest of the day just seemed to be a wipeout day, but uh, then you had to go back to school. But nevertheless, people keep Sunday in a different way. It's not until sunset. They don't keep it the night before from sunset to sunset. They keep it for a very short period of time Sunday morning. Now, I, I know that there are people that are much more strict. It's a day of don'ts with little instruction on what you ought to be doing, but they have a lot of don'ts. And there are people who are very sincere, and they try to keep Sunday as a Sabbath day. But the majority of people do not. And we need to understand that it is from sunset to sunset. One of the problems that we have is that people would like a, a list of do's and don'ts regarding the Sabbath. And so they'll ask questions like, can you watch television on the Sabbath? I've had people ask me, can I ride my horse on the Sabbath? Or can I ride snowmobiles on the Sabbath? Can I go swimming on the Sabbath? Can I play cards on the Sabbath? There's never an end to questions that come up. And surprisingly, the Bible gives very few We know that they were not to gather the manna on the Sabbath because that was their daily work. That was a responsibility. They went out, no doubt, for several hours gathering manna. If you've ever 
had to bend over low to the ground and pick things up, you realize just how much work that is. I, I worked in the fields in California, and, and one day we worked in a situation where we had to cut off the stalks of these flowering plants because it was for flower seeds, and you had to cut them off about an inch of the ground. And after 10 hours of that, you know, you could just put your hands on the ground and keep them there as long as you wanted to. The problem was getting up. Very painful. It was, muscles were not used to that particular uh, action. And these people were out there picking up this manna. You get the impression it was fairly low to the ground. And so they were out there for several hours. Now, God didn't want them to go out and do that on the Sabbath day, but to pick an apple or as the disciples, a little bit of grain and rub it between their hands and blow the chaff off and pop it in as is uh, nutritious snack food, fast food. That was not a sin. And it's very clear from Christ's reaction that that was not a sin for them to do so. But how do we answer these questions? It talks about not lighting a fire on the Sabbath. But does that mean that if you live up north, you're going to stay cold the whole winter? People say, well, they can set their thermostats. What about before thermostats, when people heated with wood or coal? It has to do with what one is lighting a fire for, for the purpose of melting gold or an industrial-type fire. That's a totally different situation than just keeping warm or frying an egg. You know, the Jews actually have an institute I don't remember the name of it, but we had a blackout up in Toronto back in 2004, I think it was. I might be wrong on the date, but it was on a Thursday, and all of a sudden the lights went out, and we thought, oh, it's just a building or something, and we found out that everything was out, the entire northeast. Uh, most states, uh, Ontario, all of Ontario was out of electricity for a period of time. And I remember reading an article after that talking about how the, the Jews would do certain things. They would not, uh, you know, turn on lights or, or different things like that. Of course, they had a Gentile maybe come over and turn on for them, which is contrary to the, the Scripture if you really look at the, the, uh, <coughs> the command. But there are certain things they don't do. And, and I don't remember, was that article or another one that they had that this institute has created a cell phone because they have so many Orthodox Jews in the Israeli Defense Forces that they have to have a cell phone that is Sabbath compliant because normally, and I don't understand exactly, so forgive me if I don't give you the exact way it works, but it's something like this. Normally when you press it, there's a little signal that is sent, electrically sent. But they've created a cell phone that it doesn't send a signal, it interrupts a signal. And so here's what you have. You have a situation where Mordecai sees some terrorists coming across the border and he radios up or he calls up on his Sabbath-compliant cell phone and says, can, can you lob a few mortars at such and such area or, or place? Now, that's a big fire. 
when you start lobbing mortars or artillery shells, but they're worried about a little teeny tiny electrical circuit that's passing through there. They have Sabbath-compliant appliances, stoves, refrigerators, all kinds of things, especially stoves. Uh, they have Sabbath-compliant stoves, or you can program and everything ahead of time. Uh, do you realize that according to some Jews, and I'm not picking on, on our Jews, but this is just one of the things they have, according to some Jews, it is a sin to do what you're doing right now, which is to write notes on the Sabbath. Now, if you use an ink that disappears after about an hour, then that's a little better. I, I, I'm not making this up. I've got it on my computer someplace, and I can find it if anybody doubts it. But this is the problem that people want a list of do's and don'ts of what you can do and what you can't do. So let me give you a, a little bit of understanding as to what, how we should approach this. How are we to keep the Sabbath? Where do we learn about the Sabbath? We learn from the Bible, obviously. How did we learn about it, most of us, from the church? The Bible doesn't give us a lot of specifics, but it does give a few. Now, in a world where the truth has been lost, the church is the one that is to guide us. Not just any church, but the true church. And I hope that we've all proven where God is working. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3, and verses 14 and 15, says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar or the bulwark, and the, or pillar and the ground or bulwark of the truth. This is what holds up the truth. God uses the church. And this is where we get the name Living Church of God, from this exact verse. Now, we would have liked Church of the Living God, but we couldn't choose that, so we modified a little bit. But it is the Church of God, and it is the Living Church of God. And I think that all of us believe that this is where God is working, perhaps more than any place else. This is where God is working. And so this is where we have the ground of the truth. Notice Colossians 2. I don't have time to go into this one. But Colossians 2, 16 and 17. We're very familiar with this. It comes up from time to time. It's a very important passage of Scripture. But he says here, Not to let anyone judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath." which are a shadow of things to come. They foreshadow things to come. But the body, the soma, that's the original word. It's used in chapter 1, verse 18 and verse 24. Christ is the head of the church. But it says the body of Christ, or it is, should not be there either, either as well. So as it should be, but the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ that should teach us what we're to eat or what we're to drink regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, these are things that you may want to go to other sermons that, that cover this, and 
I know I've covered a great deal and I don't really have time to go into it now. But the church is to teach us these things. There are traditions that we have in the church that we've learned over a long period of time. How have we learned them? Well, by experience. And we could turn over to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. It was covered recently by Mr. Wahavich. But he talks about solid food, verse 14, Hebrews 5:14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature, as he was pointing out. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, what is that saying? Well, I've learned over a period of time that there are certain things that I'm just not going to do again. Because I did it. I made a decision. People ask questions. Well, can I, can I go to my relative's house for a Christmas dinner? Uh, it's just eating a meal. Well, I, I don't. Because it's just not good situation there. Uh, sometimes they ask all kinds of other questions. I, I, I don't want to just throw out a bunch of questions here. I can think of several, but it just create more confusion without having time to explain it. But there are things that we do. People ask us questions, ask ministers questions sometimes, and, and sometimes you think, oh, well, okay, it looks like it must be okay. So you do it, and you, you, you learn that, no, this was not the right thing to do. Who, by reason of use, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We take the law of God, we apply it, and sometimes we find out this is not a good idea, and sometimes we find out that maybe, okay, it's, a, it's a, one of those areas that to us is gray, and it's no longer gray. It's either one or the other. We're to call the Sabbath a delight, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. We're not to talk our, about our own words or do our own thing. We're not to walk all over the Sabbath. We're to respect the Sabbath. You can read that, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. But let me be very uh, focused here. I think the, the best way to answer a lot of these questions is not what can I do, but what I ought I to do. The Sabbath is a wonderful opportunity for prayer, for study, for meditation, and Christian fellowship. Frankly, most people don't spend enough time doing those things during the week because they're busy. And while you may take time for prayer and study and so forth, you may not have all the time you'd like. It gives you the opportunity to sit down and to just read a whole chapter or a whole book of the Bible if it's a shorter one. It gives you time to get out the concordance or the, uh, uh, the commentary. It gives you time to go through the literature or to pull up a sermon that the church has put on the website. Oftentimes with children, it gives you the opportunity to teach your children. I remember one time where we had some lessons for children and people were saying, well, that's just too much. I don't have time to do that. And I thought, well, what about the Sabbath day? Even if it takes you two hours to get to church and two hours to come home and two hours there and two hours of fellowship, that's only eight hours. That's only eight of 24 and if you sleep eight, you still got eight hours left over. There's plenty of time 
to do those things and to teach our children. People ask, can I, my children watch television on the Sabbath? And I'm thinking, don't they watch enough as it is? If you're asking a question, can they watch it on the Sabbath? That means they're probably watching a lot the rest of the time. Isn't there something better than allowing Satan into their minds with cartoons or whatever it is that uh, is inspired in so many ways and subtle ways by Satan? It's a time to work with your children. I want to cover this one because I'm running out of time, but Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Because this is very important for, for all of us, I'm going to just read verse 25, first of all. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, here it says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When do we assemble together? Well, more than any other time, it's on the Sabbath. We have brethren that don't have the privilege of having a live speaker every week, as we do here. We have people that live out in small areas where maybe there are only 10 or 15 people, sometimes even less than that, meet together. And somebody takes a DVD and they put it in the machine, and up comes a, a sermon on a television or a screen, however it's done. And they think, well, you know, I really don't think I need to drive an hour to get there just to watch a DVD. So I think I'll stay home. And besides that, I can pull up a live service from South Africa or some other place around the world. Because they've got an interesting speaker there, I'll listen to him. But I don't necessarily want to go to services. So they, they forsake the assembling of themselves together. But what they fail to realize, and I'm not talking about where it's necessary to stay home or it is truly too far. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about where people have the attitude, well, I could come, but I'd rather just stay home and relax and rest and watch a DVD. But what about verse 24? It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's the context where it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There may be somebody there that's meeting with you. Maybe it's only six people. Maybe it's only 16. But there may be somebody there that needs a comforting word, encouragement, needs a right example. You see, we assemble together for Christian fellowship as well. That's a very important thing. Now, there's so many questions that we could go into. I'd like to give just one example, and that is uh, swimming before I, before I quit here. The question sometimes comes up, well, can I go swimming on the Sabbath? And I remember a time when I was in Phoenix uh, back in 1968. And a very nice family invited me over for the evening after the Sabbath. And they said, well, you know, bring your swimsuit. We'll go swimming. And I thought that they meant after the Sabbath was over, but as we got there, they lived in an apartment complex, and here was a swimming pool, and there were all kinds of people out there throwing balls back and forth, laughing, carrying on one thing or another. And he said, uh, Let, let's go change and go for a swim before dinner. Well, the sun was still way up. And I said, well, I don't think so. I don't think I want to do that. It's still the Sabbath. So do we say that swimming is wrong? 
Or do we have the situation where you have your own pool and you're sitting out there and you're reading the Bible and now it's time to get ready to go to church and you want to just kind of, you know, sometimes when you're reading you get a little bit tired and you want to just jump in and take about four or five laps and kind of be refreshed. No different, frankly, from going for a walk around the block, except it's water. And you kind of have to move your arms and legs differently than when you go for a walk. Well, what's the difference? The point is, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of it? I didn't want to go swimming with a bunch of people throwing a ball back and forth and jumping up and down and diving off the diving board and party atmosphere. I couldn't do that. But I would have no trouble if it was my own pool and just take a few laps, not having a party or anything, but just taking a few refreshing laps. There's a whole lot of difference. The point is, what is the purpose of it? You see, God wants us to learn to make righteous judgments. He doesn't give us a long list of do's and don'ts. These are things that we have to discern. And so, even giving this example, somebody's probably going to say, well, Weston said it's okay to go swimming on the Sabbath, and then apply it in all the wrong way. And somebody else will say, well, Weston says it's not right to do, you know, go swimming on the Sabbath. We have to make decisions. And we need to make righteous judgments concerning these things. That's why God doesn't give us a list because it would be unending. He gives us general principles. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day of spiritual rejuvenation. It's a day when we can do certain things. It's a day for the family to spend time together and to cut out the world that so intrudes upon us through all the electronic media and everything else. To watch a little bit of news, okay, that's, that's up to you. But we don't have to spend four hours. Somebody says, oh, it's all right to watch the news, and so somebody sits there watching Fox News for four hours. No, that's, that's violation, I would say. It's a matter of what we're doing. The Sabbath is not Sunday. It's not Sunday because it's a different day of the week. And it's not Sunday because it's a whole new concept. It's a wonderful gift from God to all of mankind. And I think that the overwhelming majority of us really appreciate the Sabbath. I know our LU students probably do. When they come to the end of a week, they're just glad they don't have to open up those books and start writing again. It's a wonderful gift. So let us give God the thanks for this wonderful gift. Let's strive to learn how to properly keep the Sabbath, the things that we not only can do but should do. And when we do those things, we don't have to worry about other things because the time will be taken up properly. So let's thank God for this gift, and let's delight ourselves in the Lord on the Sabbath.